There was a battle for life going on in the days of Esther, which really parallels the battle for life today. We turn to the book of Esther, going to read from chapter 4. Our text covers several chapters. I want to read uh, in chapter 4, very familiar part of this book, verses 13 through 17. Esther chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish... I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, these are your words. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word indeed is everlasting truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you have probably never heard of a girl by the name of Amber Hagerman. But I am pretty sure that you've heard of an Amber Alert. An Amber Alert is a child abduction alert system. It originated in the United States in 1996. And Amber stands for something. It stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. It was named after Amber Hagerman, a nine-year-old girl who was abducted in Arlington, Texas in 1996. In the United States, Amber Alerts are distributed in almost every way you can imagine. Commercial radio stations, internet radio, satellite radio, television stations, uh, electronic traffic condition signs, commercial electronic billboards, text messages. Some of you have probably gotten Amber Alerts on your phone. Amber Alerts has also teamed up with Google and Bing and Facebook to relay information regarding an Amber Alert to an ever-growing demographic. So when a child's life is in danger in our country, we take it seriously. Or do we? When a child is out of the womb, we take it very seriously, and and rightly so. But within the womb, as you know, it is a much different story. And so we have a battle on our hands in our country today. And all of us need to do something in this battle for life. Notice, first of all, the battle for life really needs to be fought with great urgency. In this uh, third chapter of the book of Esther, the people of Israel found themselves in what was really a life and death situation. 
King Ahasuerus had commanded that the people of his kingdom bow down before one of his noblemen by the name of Haman. But one of the Jews, a man by the name of Mordecai, refused to bow down. Angered by this, Haman asked the king to issue a decree of death, not just against Mordecai, but rather a decree of death against his people, his entire people, the Jews. And that's what this king did on the 13th day of the 12th month. He decreed that all the Jews in his kingdom were to be destroyed. It's obvious that this decree of death needed to be met with an urgent response. For one thing, this decree of death protected no one, none of the Jews. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who are throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. If you jump down to verse 13, here you have the decree. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month Adar. So not a single Jew was protected from this deadly decree. And from what I could gather in the Persian Empire at that time, there were millions of Jews. It is estimated that the population of the Persian Empire at this time was about 50 million people. And from what I could gather, they they estimate that about 20% of them were Jews. 20% of 50 million It's a lot of people, millions of people. The parallel to our day is is really obvious, isn't it? Since 1973, children in the womb are no longer guaranteed protection. Some states have enacted laws restricting abortion at certain stages of development, but the U.S. Supreme Court has basically said the same thing as the king said in chapter 3, verse 11, do with them as you please. If you read the back of our bulletin this morning, you will notice that since 1973, over 55 million children have been aborted. Let that sink in. 55 million. Million. This decree of death was promoted as a positive thing. As Haman read his argument before the king, he said it would be wise for the king to destroy all the Jews. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from the, those of all other people, and they do not observe the king's laws, so is, it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. 
What's he saying? He's saying for the welfare of the kingdom, we need to get rid of these people. This is a positive thing for you, O king. We need to get rid of all of these Jews. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Abortion should be legal because our planet cannot support any more people. Have you heard that foolish argument? You've been to South Dakota, haven't you? North Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas. Are you kidding me? This planet cannot support more people. Abortion should be legal because many children are unwanted. Would have to be raised through taxpayers' money. We had a perfect example of that this morning. There are children wanted, loved. Many people trying to adopt children, waiting, going through a long, long process. Or how about this one? Abortion should be legal because some children will be born with severe health issues. That would be a burden on society. All of these arguments saying, you know, it's a positive thing. Women should have a choice in this. Somehow portrayed as good for the country. Jim Lamb of Lutherans for Life in December of last year, just last month, wrote a letter to pastors. And in part he said, We are call we are to call wrong things wrong. This is critically important in a culture that does more than propagate wrong things. It calls wrong things good. Our culture, for example, gives death, and listen to this, an almost godlike status. Abortion and assisted suicide have become saviors that people are urged to turn to for rescue from their problems. Note, note that. That, that. Listen to what he says. Abortion and assisted suicide have become saviors that people are urged to turn to for rescue from their problems. That's the counsel they're getting at Planned Parenthood. That this is your savior. You, you just abort this child and things will be so much better for you. Where death is given almost, as he says, godlike status. This will save you from all kinds of, of trouble. How about financially profitable? Was this decree of death said to be profitable? Look at verse 9 of chapter 3. Haman says, If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay. 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasury. Wow, he comes to the king and says, you know what? If we just get rid of these Jews, just just think, we're going to put a lot of money into your treasury. And then look at the decree then given in verse 13 to destroy and to kill and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, men and women and children in one day. And to, look at that last phrase of verse 13, to seize their possessions as plunder. 
You see, King, this would be financially profitable to you. We could destroy them and then we could seize their property. It would be financially profitable if we do this. Well, I'll tell you, if that doesn't ring a bell in your mind, this abortion industry in our country, you talk about being financially profitable. Planned Parenthood, all the money they get to destroy our children. And we have people in government that are supporting that, giving money to that. Even to the point now where parts of, of, of little children are being sold. How bad can we get as a country? So not only would they get rid of the Jews with this decree, but they would have some profit from it. The battle for life must be fought with great urgency in our day today. Notice, secondly, the battle for life must be fought with great weapons. What are our weapons? How do we battle this? Notice when the decree of death came, became known to Mordecai, The first thing he did was to respond with a spiritual weapon to to get on his knees and pray. In chapter 4, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes. I would call that earnest, united, unceasing prayer. This was a matter of life and death. And so they cried out to God for help. Because if this decree of death was going to be stopped, they needed divine intervention, didn't they? And wouldn't you agree today, if this decree of death in our country is going to stop, it's going to take God's work, divine intervention. And so where does it start? It starts on our knees. As we plead to God for revival in our land. As we plead for God to do a a miraculous work in the lives of our people who are are, are rapidly becoming a, a pagan culture. With no foundation of God's word to to guide their decisions. We need to pray. It's a spiritual battle, isn't it? What did Jesus say about The devil, the thief, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life. Why is there a culture of death? It's because it's a spiritual battle. Satan is behind it all. It takes spiritual weapons. We need to begin with prayer. But that's not all that they did. There was also a legislative response to this. Although Mordecai knew that prayer was the most important weapon, he also knew that the law that allowed for the destruction of the Jews needed to be changed. And so notice how he appealed to Queen 
Esther. In chapter 4, verse 4, Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hadrach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square and in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasure for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Now, there are some that don't think that Christians should be involved in the political process. Well, they were here, weren't they? Go in and plead to the king. Petition the king. Deal with the one who has made this edict to bring destruction. And so Mordecai gives the word to Esther. And and notice Esther's response. Verse 9, Hathach came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered him to reply to Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And Esther says, I have not been summoned to the king for these 30 days. So what is Esther saying? She's basically saying, this could cost me something. This could cost me my life if the king doesn't put forth the golden scepter. But Mordecai makes it clear that this was of ultimate importance. In fact, Esther would lose her life if the law wasn't revoked because she too was a Jew. And Mordecai reminded her of that in verse 13. Mordecai told him to reply to Esther, Don't imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for a time such as this. Now, there are some people that think that abortion doesn't really affect them. That that's just, you know, other people's lives doesn't affect me. A woman should have a choice what she does with her body. How many times have you heard something like that but this affects all of us don't kid yourself this affects all of us if we don't turn away from our sin God will bring judgment on our nation and he is already and we will experience that because we live here so don't think that that's just somebody else's issue and it doesn't and you know no skin off of my nose really 
Besides that, it doesn't end with abortion. Because once you say that life at one stage of development should not be allowed to live, that's the biggest step. Then the next step is much easier to say that if life in the womb is not sacred, what about other life then? What about those of us getting older, huh? What about those who have health issues? What about Christians? Think that could be possible? Look at the book of Revelation. So once you, you take that step or you say that life at one stage of development is not worth living, it's a domino, isn't it? And we are living in a culture of death. Assisted suicide? What's next? Martin Niemöller gives this classic description of time in Germany during Hitler's reign. I'm sure many of you have heard it. In Germany, they came first for the communists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Catholic. Then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left to speak up. So if we don't speak up in a culture of death, where's it going to end? Where's it going to end? When Esther realized what was really at stake, she took to heart what Mordecai had said. And the first thing she did is the first thing Mordecai did. She went to prayer too. Verse 15 of chapter 4, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Well, there's a woman of conviction, right? At first she said, you know, this might cost me. If you come into the presence of the king and you have not been summoned, if he does not put out the golden censer, you're dead. But now she realized the gravity of the situation and she said, fast for me, pray for me. And I'm going to go into the king. If I perish, I perish. That's a conviction, isn't it? That's not a preference. That's a conviction. And that's what we need in this culture today, don't we? Men and women of conviction. Not men and women of a, of a preference. Here's what I pr- would prefer it to be. As long as it doesn't cost me anything. And our churches are filled with people like that. Count on me if it doesn't cost me anything. Count on me if i got nothing else going. Where are the people of 
of conviction. Say, this is right, I'm going to stand for right, and I don't care if it costs me. If I perish, I perish. And she went to the king. Jump ahead to chapter 7 and you'll find what she said. In verse 2, the king said, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition, and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. That's my petition, she said. This decree has been written that all of us, all throughout the kingdom, all of us Jews are to be destroyed. My petition is for life, for me, and for my people. So prayer and petitioning was part of Esther's battle for life. Great urgency, we battle for life. Great weaponry, we battle for life. Most certainly the battle for life must be fought with great expectancy. I must say to you that there are times when I don't have much expectancy of, of change in our country. You feel that way? It's interesting to notice when Mordecai went to Esther with this plea. He had expectancy that God was going to work. In verse 14 of chapter 4 he said, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now that's expectancy, isn't it? Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And who knows, Esther, if you're to be the one at a time such as this, to be used of God to bring about this deliverance that He will bring. Mordecai must have been very confident of God's promise. Promise he made to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And Mordecai must have been confident that God would care for his people because of God's providence. He believed that God had placed Esther, here this Jewish woman, in the Persian Empire as the queen. Would you call that a miracle of God? How about Joseph as a foreigner, former prisoner under Pharaoh? Would you call that a miracle? I would. Such a time as this, God had put that queen in that position. So when God's people prayed and Esther appealed to the king, it's interesting to notice what would, ha what happened. God was obviously working in this situation because the king completely revoked that decree of death. 
Turn to chapter 8. Verse 5, Then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, for in all the king's provinces... For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? There's her heart, isn't it? How can I endure this? How can I see this go on? You felt that way about abortion? How can, how can I just watch this destruction of life going on day after day? in our country. So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows, because he stretched out his hand against the Jews. And now verse 8 says, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name. And seal it with the king's signet ring for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Now that is amazing, isn't it? She comes to the king and appeals for her people and the king says, you and Mordecai, you write the law and I'll stamp it. I'll put my signet ring upon it. It's no wonder the last verses of chapter 8 tells us of great joy, great rejoicing. Throughout the whole province, God had done something wonderful. And they were glad. I want to ask you a question. Can God do something wonderful in our day? Think about that. Is God able to do something wonderful in our day? He's done it before. And we need to pray that God will do it again. We need to pray that God will bring revival to our land because when people get right with God, then they'll start respecting life. Because when you've experienced the gift of life from God and the gift of life found in Jesus, your whole worldview changes, doesn't it? So that's what needs to happen. Do we need to appeal to our legislators? legislators? Absolutely. Do we need to vote people in that have a pro-life view? Absolutely. But that's not the only thing. We need to pray that God would bring revival, that God would change the hearts of people. Because when God changes people's hearts, then their view of life, their view of the world, their view of sin... Their view of abortion, assisted suicide, homosexuality, that changes 
when God changes the heart. Look at the last verse of the book of Esther. Chapter 10, verse 3. It describes the life of Mordecai. He was given a position of leadership in the kingdom. And verse 3 then says, For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen. And then notice this last phrase that describes his life. One who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. That's what we need, don't we, today? One who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. Isn't it about time we issue an amber alert, huh? For those within the womb. I close with Proverbs 24. Listen to this challenge. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? God sees and God knows, and God will provide the boldness and the courage and the wisdom and the strength to be like Esther and Mordecai, to live in a culture of death by proclaiming that Jesus is the Prince of Life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and enable us, O oh God, to, to have the conviction of, of Esther and Mordecai and to realize the seriousness of the hour, the urgency of the hour. And to believe, God, that as you did great things in that day, that you can do great things today. Oh, God, bring revival to our land for the glory and the praise of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.